0: Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Matt Swing, so without further ado, here he is. So, um, as, uh, as I was getting ready to preach this, uh, a few weeks ago, Pastor Dave said, so, you know, your farewell sermon is coming up, and you can preach on Anything you can pick any topic, anything you want to leave the church with, whatever it is, you can preach about it. And I was like, "Oh, that's so hard. Just <laughs> we'll have to narrow it down to one thing." And just anything can be anything, and it kind of opens up all these doors. And uh, when I sit down to do a sermon, my mind already does that. It kind of goes and it kind of tries to pull like different points from all these different areas of life. And I was like, "I got to narrow this down to just one thing. What is one thing?" Uh, that I would like to leave and say as my final word. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, your last word, uh, I mean, your last word tends to carry a lot of weight. Um, uh, and, in fact, we we have a lot of famous last words. We follow, a, I like reading quotes on people's famous last words. I was reading this one by uh, Pancho Villa, and he sa- his famous last words were, don't let it end like this, tell them I said something. <laughs> and... Uh, he wasn't ready. He wasn't prepared. He didn't have any last words ready. He was just like, ah, it's coming. It's too late. So uh, that, I, I was like, I, don't, I really don't want my last words to end like that, where it's like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to say. I gonna. Just say something. Um, so I spent a lot of time really prayerfully going through this and thinking about, if, if I can leave one thing with you, Harvest, uh, what would that be? Um, and I also hope that this last word is a reflection of our time with you, and, and of what we have seen at the church, and not just something special that I say today that has no context with the rest of our life, or the rest of how, how you guys have been living life uh, in recent years. You know, I was thinking about final instructions and final words. Um, you know, parents, uh, when they drop their kids off somewhere, I don't know about you, but when I drop my kids off, I always like to give final instructions, and I found that when I give final instructions, my children tend to to act better, and they tend to do better in whatever setting they're in. So right before we drop our kids off at someone's house, we say, hey, 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 stop, everyone, come around, listen, we want you to be good listeners, and do what your, your whoever the person is in charge, listen to them, do what they say. And they're like, oh, okay, dad, they have a charge, they have a, they have a mission during the time they're there. We, we so we leave them with the important things, and then we always say, I love you, and give them hugs and kisses, because we want our last words to be the, the, the most important, the most heartfelt. If they remember one thing, it's that last thing we say, right? And, and I remember uh, when, I, when my parents dropped me off at college my freshman year, uh, they were, uh, I was the oldest of five, and so when they, they, they helped me lug all my stuff up the stairs and drop my stuff in the, coll- in the dorm room, and I had a lot of stuff, uh, my, my best friend and I, we had this... We, we bought all this sound equipment so we could DJ, and we had this huge mirror ball and a black light. We had, like, the best dorm room ever. Um, but anyways, we were packing all this stuff, and we had this, like, 12-by-12-foot 12 12 room packed full of lighting gear and sound gear and all this and sound equipment. And, and uh, my parents were helping me pack all this stuff in, and then they brought in the last thing. And I could tell, like, they were starting to get to that point where they are like, man, we just got to get out of here before we cry. And my dad, like, stopped, and he looked at me, and he said, hey, one last thing. I just want you to remember... You know, studying comes first. And then he left. And, I mean, we gave hugs and I love you and everything, and then he left. And it, you know what was weird was my entire college career, anything I was doing, that echoed in my mind. That s- study comes first. There were times I'd be walking across the campus, and I'd see a great game of Ultimate Frisbee going on. I was like, oh, it's a beautiful day. I want to go out and play with some Frisbee. And I was like, oh, I got that paper to write. So I was like, well... I'll write the paper. If I have time, I'll go do some frisbee. And you know that kind of was a, a guiding thing for for me for the rest of my uh, college life this it, so i was I was thinking about this in, in light of the church as uh, as we're heading out like what well, what would I like to say as last words as final words, hopefully not last words in the sense of Pancho Villa, but last words as as far as a, as a staff member here on at the church and i was, I thought a lot about Paul, you know. One of the things Paul would do when he wrote letters to all the churches that he had been involved with over his time, anytime he wrote them a letter, anytime he visited them, he always ended his letters with a benediction. Benediction simply means good word, um, and uh, typically this tradition has been has been adopted by Protestant evangelical churches and Catholic churches at the end of Christian services. Uh, one typical thing that happens is at the very last thing after after every after all the ties been done after all the worship's done after the, the very last thing the pastor or the priest stands in the front and says the benediction and he blesses everyone as they go out. It's a go with God adios. It's a farewell. Do a, do a good job where you're going, and it's a sending you out with, with God. It's it's this idea that wherever you're going, it's this final instruction to keep walking. in the the way that you are. The thing is, Paul did not create this. It was not Paul's idea. Paul stole it from Judaism, and it it wasn't the Hebrews' idea. The Hebrews didn't make this up as something that they they thought was a great great thing to do. This came from the very mouth of God. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Numbers chapter 6, uh, verse 22. So... The Israelites, um, they had just fled Egypt. They're out. Uh, God is, re- is establishing them as their own society. And he established the priesthood, the Levites, the, uh, all the one tribe. There are 12 tribes. There's one tribe. Their entire life was devoted to be priests of God. And as he was establishing them, he gave them a commission. And he said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Here's the thing. Blessing is not a man-made idea. Blessing is God's idea. And I don't know about you, but that, that's awesome. To think that God cares enough for, for him to establish an entire tribe whose mission it was to tell the people that they're blessed, that God has a, has a blessing for them. Now, this word blessing gets tossed around all the time. Hey, can you say the blessing? Hey, you feel blessed. Hey, I have a blessed day. Like, it's been used so much. Sometimes we do this to words where we overuse them, and they get watered down, and they lose some of the significance they have. But blessing is, in the sense that God intends it, is it has to do with everything. So when you say, I'm blessed, and you're talking about, like, hey, I got this new car, I'm blessed, or I got this new job, I'm blessed, that's actually accurate. But that's not the end of it. Blessing has to do with your whole well-being. So while it may include things like land and property and, and things like that, it also includes health, includes spiritual well-being, includes relationships that are healthy and whole. The, the idea of blessing is all-encompassing. It's not just financial. And I think sometimes we get caught up in just certain aspects of it, but it, it should encompass all everything. The idea that God has when he says you're blessed, is that means, man, everything that, that you touch will be whole and right in, in the way it should be. The other thing is, this is the Lord's job. The, 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 uh, while the priests were to announce it, The priests didn't do it. The priests were to announce, the Lord bless you and keep you. And it's always good for us to remember that our blessings come from God. So when we sit down and we... uh, pray for our, e- our meals. You know, if there was a season where I was like with our family, I was like, I don't know if I want to pray for meals. Like, I feel like we just got into this ritual. We sit down, God bless us, our first food, amen, and we eat. and, we're like, and we, we just are not, we're just not paying attention to what we're doing. We're saying these words, they're empty, there isn't that meaning behind them. And so I kind of p- took some pause and I stepped back and I was like, why are we doing this? And when you step back and you think about it and you say, everything I have comes from God's blessing. The least I can do when I sit down to this meal is thank God for what he's done to prepare it for us. I can thank God for the way he's provided a job. I can thank God for the way he's provided our health. This is just a symbol. This time of prayer before our meal is just a symbol of all the ways that God's blessed us. It's just, this is just a small portion of how God's blessed us. If we can't remember God in that, how can we remember him in the larger things? And then this is one thing I think is amazing. When Adam and Eve sinned, and that relationship with God was ruptured, and they were divided and cast out. They were cursed. The land will, will not produce. You'll, you'll experience pain. People are going to have enmity between one another. There's going to be a break between you and God. All these things are curses. When God's giving a blessing to his people, he's saying, you know all those curses that happen as a result of the fall? That is not my idea. I want to see you blessed. I want to see you have a right relationship with me. I want to see you have a right relationship with those around you. I want to reverse that curse in your life. And I am actively working to do that. Will you accept that? So this idea of blessing is that, we, that, that God wants to totally destroy the curse that tries to take hold of our lives. That is not God's intended design for us. That is not what he has in store for us. Jesus went around doing some miracles in his time. One of them, one of the awesome ones he did, he did it twice, but he, he had this huge group of people out in the middle of the wilderness and uh, he fed them. He, he brought a couple of loaves and a couple of fish and he broke it up into pieces and as he broke it, it kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and he said, here, pass it out, here, pass it out, here, pass it out and it kept getting bigger and bigger and they just passed it out and it fed the entire group of people that were sitting there. And then, The next day, all these people started really following him. They're like, wow, this guy is amazing. He does some really cool stuff. We want to get get in on this. And Jesus looked into their hearts, and he noticed that their motives weren't great. And he he said to these people that were following him, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to, to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give to you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. I say this only as a warning. We do not follow God because we are seeking blessings. That is not the, that is not the, if we are just seeking to fill our bellies, if we're just seeking to fill our coffers, if we're just seeking to get a bigger house or better things, or, that is not, the, that should not be ever our motive for following God. That is, blessing isn't an outpouring of God's spirit and generosity to us, but that shouldn't be what motivates us. And and Jesus echoes that multiple times in his ministry. We need to seek the kingdom and his righteousness, and all the other things will be added. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. There was one translation I read, and and, and I I believe in the ancient text, it, it literally means that the Lord smiles on you. The Lord smiles on you. I was wondering, have you ever experienced a time in your life where you felt the Lord smiling on you? Um, I, I had a very similar experience to what Bobby was talking about this morning. When I, was, I don't know how old I was. I was just learning guitar, and uh, I hadn't yet played in front of anybody or anything like that. But I was playing in my room, and I had this worship song, Lord, I lift your name on high. And uh, I was playing it, and it was the first time in my life I ever led worship. Because something happened at where I was no longer playing chords, and I was no longer just singing a song. But something clicked, and I was like, whoa. And I felt this great just this, this joy. I felt as if God was smiling on me. I felt this pleasure. I felt this brightness. I felt this warmth that I can only describe as a, just a, an amazing experience that I felt blessed to be, to be able to have but it was nothing I did. It was just God, I felt like it was God smiling on, on me. I've felt that at other times, and sometimes it surprises me when that happens. Um, my, my first year here at Harvest, we uh, participated in a Feed My Starving Children event. And it was a, for, uh, you go and you pack, you pack rice and, and different things, and you put it all in this dried, sealed pack, and you, you seal it, and you, throw a bunch of them in a box and then you throw a bunch of boxes on a pallet and then they ship the pallet to different places in the world where people are starving and there are missionaries working with them and I was thinking oh this is a really great thing to do it's really nice and you know we'll get to you know serve people and you know it's a great experience for the church and I I thought that all these great things but as we were doing it I had that same feeling that I got when I'm like singing and leading worship or worshiping God and I was like whoa, like, I did not expect it because I wasn't singing. There was no music. I was like, how is that happening without music? But I think it was that same experience of God's smiling on on what he saw as something worshipful, something being done in his name that glorified him. In Exodus 34, verse 29 to 32, Moses uh, was spending some time uh, going and meeting with God And during those times, this is where God gave him the commandments. But listen to this passage with me. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, that's the Ten Commandments, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to him. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and, get, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When you're in the presence of God, you can't help but reflect his glory. Now, the interesting thing with the Israelites here is, Moses came down, and he was like kind of shiny. And they were like, oh, that's scary. And they made him cover his face. They didn't want to see it, because they, they didn't, I don't know what they thought, but they were afraid. I don't know if they thought he was radioactive or something, but uh, they were afraid of him. And so they made him cover his face. But later in Second Corinthians, Paul tells us this. He says, "But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who are un- with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit." So Paul says, "We have the same opportunity as Moses had." At that time, only certain people could go up and have that face-to-face action with God. But now, we, as, as followers of Christ, the veil has been torn away. No longer do we have to hide God's glory. No longer do we have to cover our faces because, wow, we might, we might show too much of God's reflection to others. Paul says, tear it off. Take the veil away. Reflect the glory of God. Let it shine through you. Let it, res- let it be seen to all who know you. Did you know smiles are contagious. I'll try right now. Uh, so uh, like newborn babies, um, my wife works in a childbirth education. And one of the things that totally amazed me is that newborn babies, they look at their mom's faces when they're being held. And the, the expression that the mom does, the baby tries to mimic it. And I was like, what? That's cool. So I, when I see newborns, I try to play around with it, see what I can make their faces do, because they try to copy you. They, don't, they just see a face, and they say, oh, the face does that. Oh, okay, I'll do that. And they do what your face does, and it's really cool. Um, smiles, as well, are contagious. I, I, I've been experimenting this week as I've been thinking about it. Like, Somebody walks in, and I'm like, I wonder if my first, my first facial whatever I do to them. I wonder how they'll respond. So, like, I saw Dan the other day, and he came in. I was like, hey, man, and he's like, hey, what's going on? <laughs> so, like, I just kind of caught him off guard. He didn't know what was going on, but I was testing him, seeing if he would smile, and sometimes if somebody walks in, you're like, hey, what's going on? They kind of match your, they'll, they'll match your countenance. Whatever you, your facial expression is, try it Sometimes It's kind of fun. Don't, you can't do it with people here now. They're aware, but you have to do it with people that don't know it's coming. Our, our facial expressions uh, I believe, are, are built into us through by God. Um, I read a book recently called Blink, and there's a guy in this book, he, he does this amazing thing where he will watch a speech, and based on someone's facial patterns, he can tell like, if they're telling the truth, or if they're lying. He can tell, he can, he can kind of read their face, because there are certain expressions that we make that we can't help it that we make them. And as we make them, they reveal parts of our, ourselves to others. And I believe that that is something that God hardwired into us so that we would uh, would reflect the emotions as we feel them. But I think it even goes deeper. I think it's so that we can reflect the, the facial. I think that we reflect the glory in the face of God to others. So this week, as I've been thinking about this idea of God smiling on his people, I was thinking back over times when I think, Just from my personal experiences, things that I've seen or witnessed in Harvest where I think God is smiling on Harvest community. Times where I've seen Harvest be agents of God's blessing to others. Um, One of the times was uh, I got a call from a family and they said, hey, Pastor Matt, we have a car we want to get rid of. It's in great shape, it's kind of older, but we're just replacing it. And we know we could, we know we could donate it, and, you know, or we could sell it and get some cash for it, but we just feel, like, we feel compelled that we should give it to someone who's in need. I was like, oh, awesome. So I started making some calls, and um, I called the local resource center, and there was a family there, and she said, this family, um, they're new to, to the United States, um, they are desperately need a vehicle. And so um, through the, the resource center, we could, I connected the family with the, who had the car with the family who needed the car. And just, I was just an agent, just somebody who was there just to watch and observe the transaction. I didn't do anything on either end other than connect these two people. And I had this great, amazing privilege to be there. This family, when they, when they accepted in, uh, when they got the car, they brought us into their home. Uh, they offered us tea. Um, and they, they, they sat with us. They brought out the best that they had of, of food. And they were like, we want to share. We want to be generous with you. And I was just like, wow, this is amazing. This is And, and, you know, just to see God at work in this family's life, it was a a true honor and blessing to be able to witness that. I've seen families in our church choose to go to locations that maybe uh, are beneath their means, move into locations where um, it may not be the coolest or the best place for them and their family to live, but they move there on purpose so that they could reach into the community where they live. And that has been amazing to see that somebody would sacrifice comfort and uh, certain, certain parts of life that, that you think, well, you know, I need to have a really nice place to live. I really need to have this. And they say, you know what, for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of serving others, I want to go into a place that's beneath, beneath what I could afford, beneath what I could take, and, and, and do that in order to serve. I think when God sees that kind of sacrificial living, he smiles on that. I have seen countless times where community groups have stood up to care for one another. When babies are born and food is brought, when when there are funerals and families come together and take care of one another, I think in each one of these little interactions, God looks at that and smiles and says, this is how it should be. Recently, uh, the board, um, we were having a meeting in, in the meeting, in casual conversation, uh, somebody mentioned this guy that they knew a long time ago and um, how he had helped the church uh, in, his beginning, in his early years. And then uh, one of the other guys was like, oh yeah, I knew him too. And then, before we knew it, the whole board, I didn't know this guy, but the board started talking and telling stories about this guy who had a significant impact on the church. And then out of that conversation, somebody said, and I can't remember who it was, but somebody said, you know what, we need to follow up with him you know, I feel like he was such an, an inspirational part of the, the beginning of our church and so helpful to us. We should try to do something to bless him and his family. Let's find out where he is. Let's find out what he's up to. Let's find a way to bless him. We, The board members that were there at that meeting didn't know at that time, but the man that they, they were looking up was Robert Getty. Once they researched Robert Getty, found out he was suffering from a terrible illness, having lots of financial difficulties, and there was a lot of things going on in his life that were very, just horrible. Well, we, we, the board was motivated to, to continue to serve, and the whole church had been mobilized, has been mobilized to help serve this family. I don't know if you know, recently, it just, they found out that his disease is Lyme disease, which is treatable. It is not a. Um, it's not life-threatening. It, it's, it's not. It's not something that uh, will is necessarily fun to deal with. But it's something that is treatable. Deal. He could deal with it. But the thing that that struck me about this was this was the leaders of the church being sensitive to the spirit, and not ignoring it. And because of that, in the midst of this this amazing miracle, we were able to be part to see, be witness to what God is doing in Robert Getty's life. We were actually allowed by the Spirit to be part of that and see what God is doing. It, it, but it became down to faithfulness in, in that conversation. I don't think that was just a normal conversation that happened. I think it was the Spirit working in that group and saying, hey, you guys need to pay attention. Robert Getty needs you. Robert Getty needs some help right now. But in this conversation, that wasn't. no one realized that, but th- I think the Spirit was at work. And I think because of Harvest Faithfulness, God looks at those kinds of situations where people are sensitive to him and smiles and says, yes, that is awesome. These are just some of the things I personally have seen. I know there are countless things, countless ways that God is working in this body that I will never see in this lifetime. And I know that God is smiling on the ways that Harvest is reaching out, reaching across, reaching up, and serving others. I think is something that Harvest has been striving towards and growing in, and I know that God loves that. And even God is blessed by the ways that we are blessing others. So Harvest Community Church is a church that reflects the smile of God. And I just want to say, keep it up. Don't stop. The Lord... Turn his face toward you and give you peace. So, have you ever have you ever been somewhere and you kind of you're you're trying to get someone's attention? And finally, you're like, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. Look at me! Um, if you have kids, you know <laughs> you know what that's like. So sometimes with the kids, they're all running around, they're doing stuff, and you're like, hey, stop! Hey, hey, hey! Finally, there's a point where you reach where you're like stop, come, look me in the eye. And I get down in their level, and I'm like, look me right in the eye. Don't look look up here, don't look over here, look at me. I have some very important things to say to you right this minute. And um, one of my daughters likes to go... (laughs) And that's not good enough, she has to look me right in the eye, because I want to know that she's listening and paying attention. Um, In fact, Lori and I, yesterday we were moving some stuff in our house, and we had this big, huge thing that we were trying to maneuver. And you know, I wanted to like strategize and plan it all through the things. And I just wanted to make sure, because it's a stressful time in our marriage when we move large objects together. Because uh, somebody's like, hey that's, hey, that's my hand. What are you dropping it for? You know, these, all these different things going back and forth. So I was like, if we're going to do this and keep our marriage intact, we have to do it in such a way that we're really, really planned out from step one all the way to the end. And so... So I was like, okay, um, let's talk about how we're going to move this dresser. And she's like, okay, okay, okay. And she was like packing stuff and moving stuff. I was like, no, 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 stop. I, I, I want to stop. And so I just waited until she was done with all the things that she was messing with. And I was like, okay, let's talk through this. And so I really wanted to, it, it, it's not that Lori can't listen to me, but in that moment it was a very important time. And I just want to make sure that we were on the same page and that we were talking and that we were looking each other face to face. You know, uh, God wants you to know that you have his ear. He turns his face towards you. He gives you his direct attention. That's pretty amazing. I know um, I, I, I have sensed this even in our church. Uh, anytime I've had, any, had something I'm wondering about and I walk by Pastor Dave's office and like I see him, I know he's typing away. I know he's working on the sermon. I know he's really busy, and I'm like, oh, I, sh- I don't want to bother him. But you know, I need to ask him this thing. I ask. It doesn't matter what he's doing. He drops it, turns, gives me his full attention. He's like, yeah, tell me what's going on. That's the kind of attention that you can give when you have experienced that kind of attention from God. When God look can stop, God looks at you and gives you his direct attention and hears you. And I think that 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 is the way that God not only responds to us, but how he would like us to respond to others. When people come and talk to you, don't just let them walk by and ignore them, but give them your attention. Focus, pay attention. What are they saying? Don't just let them walk by. We've talked about this many times at Harvest, but the Lord turns his face towards you and gives you his peace. The word peace there is shalom. Shalom is just a Jewish word that means the way things should be. I don't know if you know this, in uh, Hebrew culture, um, they, uh, whenever you greet someone, you say shalom. So when you come up, you say, hey, shalom. So basically you're saying that, that things will go with you the way, the, Lord sh- the, the way that they should, that everything should be the way sh- that it should. And when you leave, instead of saying goodbye, you say, shalom. You say that as you're going, even as you're going away, that things will go the way they should go. And so, day in and day out, the, Jew, the uh, Jewish people remind one another, the things, there's a certain way that things should go, and God has planned them, and they should go that way in your life. And so when they say it when they're coming, and they say it when they're going. I, I think that's really beautiful, that it's just incorporated into all of their life. God says he will put his name on you. So they will put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. Um, Lori and I, last night we went to uh, see Robin Hood. And um, I don't know if you've seen the movie. There's lots of action in it. It's, it's pretty, pretty exciting, pretty fun. But one thing that happens is there's this, this lowly archer who comes across the fortune of finding some of the king's knights um, who've, who've just been ambushed. And as they're coming back to England, um, they decide, well, why don't we dress up in their clothes? No one knows what, who a knight really is. It's just his outfit that makes him a knight. In his name, right? And so they knew who the guy was because as he was dying, he like, gave, gave Robin Hood a, a, a message for his father and some, some stuff. So Robin's like, you know, we'll just take his name and go back. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. That, in that time, they didn't have like IDs. Like, they couldn't go. When you got to the palace guard, they didn't say, you know, we're going to do you a thumbprint and an eye scan and pull out your ID and, you know, we'll scan it. They didn't have anything like that. The only way, the only thing they could tell is they, they look at how you're dressed. And so if he had knight's clothes on, well, that's a, that's a really good indication that he's a knight. And then, then the other thing is, who are you? What is your name? And in his name, he would say, um, Robin Longshire of Nottingham, and you know, son of Walter. I forget his father's name. Anyways, he would say who his father was. He would say where he is from. And as he did that, that gave him credibility. Or not. Because somebody would go, wait, Nottingham? I know people in Nottingham you don't look like them. You don't look like, you know, but they, oh, wait, do you know, so-and-so. So there was a way to find out who you were, but your name was your identity, and I found that very interesting. I feel like in today's world, things are quite different, but imagine how powerful it is to have a name. What is that name? I think today we see it in our, uh, whether you have a passport or not, like your, do you, are you able to be, do you have the name of U.S. citizen or European citizen or Korean citizen? Like, what, who, who claims you? Where do you come from? God says, I will put my name on you. That's powerful. In Hebrews 2.11, it says, Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. We are brothers of Jesus, sons of God, brought into the family. Whatever our name was, we've been given a new one. And God calls us his sons and his daughters. God wants to see the curse reversed in the lives of his people. God cares deeply about your well-being. God smiles on his children. God is gracious to his children. God turns his face towards you and God listens to his children. And God works towards shalom, the way that things should be in the lives of his children. God puts his very own name on you. You are his family. My favorite thing about benedictions is that it has very little to do about life Inside this building on Sunday mornings. And it has everything to do with how you live your life during the week. Benedictions are the last call and the last charge to remind you to keep living your life for God during the week and not forget your first love. Ministry isn't something we do, it's a way of life. And uh, it has been a joy and a pleasure to serve here at Harvest. And Lori and I really wish you the best. And this is our prayer for you. In all that you do, no matter whether you stay in this area or whether you move to the farthest corners of the world, we pray God's blessings on you and all that you put your hands to. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church